Amen. Good morning, everybody. Won't you like Ric Flair chop your neighbor or something and make sure they're awake this morning? You've got two of them. Praise God. Good to see everybody this morning. Uh, we're going to go ahead and get into the Word in Exodus. I'm going to be in Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4 uh, this morning. Uh, before we get into that, I'll let you turn into your Bibles for those of you who like to bring a hard copy. Uh, Exodus 3 or 4 and then uh, but as I said I think I looked this morning I feel like we had about 75 people signed up for small groups so far so that's pretty good if you've not signed up be sure and do that so we can get you uh, involved and get you in a group that's one of the main things that we do here in our church as far as just building community but especially discipleship and so it's important we, we'd love for you to go ahead and get involved in that but uh We'll go ahead and jump in. We've been talking about missions the last couple of weeks, and while we're not really in a series, I'm, I'm, I'm continuing in that, that stream of thought. And the message this morning, the title of this message, Jeremy uh, came up with the title of the message that he got from Matt Langdon years ago. So this is a hand-me-down title, but a fresh message. Amen. Amen. Excuses, Camouflage, Disobedience. Amen. That's a great title, isn't it? And so in Exodus chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse 9, and then I'm going to flip over to chapter 4 as well, verses 1 through 17. So we're going to read a lot of scripture here. This is going to be good for you this morning. Amen. Exodus 3, 9, it says, And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may, also, may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say to, this pe to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, What is in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand once again. That they may believe that the Lord... The God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. And if they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. And then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. 
You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Let's pray together over this. Father, we thank you for your word. We believe that your word, sometimes even when we don't understand it, God, it's, it's the words of life. And so we pray that, Holy Spirit, you would give us illumination and revelation. You'd help us to understand what you're speaking to your church this morning. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would come and you would awaken our hearts. Because, God, you're, you're calling each and every one of us, I believe, into your mission in this hour. And, God, if you don't do it in us and through us, Lord, it won't be done. So we ask Jesus that you'd have mercy on us. You'd send your spirit this morning to awaken us, God, and to equip us, to empower us, and transform us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So Moses, if y'all know the story of Moses, Moses is pretty much, he is the dude in Hebrew history. Like if anybody in, that is a Jew, Jew or an Israelite, when they look back, Mo, Moses is the head honcho. He's the guy that they believe led them. He's the guy that wrote essentially the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. He's the dude. And Moses grew up in Egypt for 40 years. And if you look at his life, his life is segmented in three categories, really. He lived 120 years old, and his first 40 years were in Egypt. His second 40 years, he left Egypt and lived in the wilderness in the backside of the desert. And then the next 40 years of his life, he went and brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he spent 40 years in the wilderness, and he died just as he was looking into the promised land. But he didn't get to make it into the promised land. Now, Moses has just had an encounter with God. And here's what what's interesting about Moses is he lives in Egypt for most of his young life and he is conformed to their patterns. He's raised in, in Pharaoh's household and Egypt is a picture of this world system. He is conformed to the patterns of Egypt but when he gets about 40 years old he recognizes that he's actually a Hebrew. He's actually an Israelite and he kills a man in defense of one of his brothers and, and he ends up having to run out of Egypt. Now God brings Moses out of Egypt and we say this all the time in the church if you've ever heard this saying but what we say is is that it's not just important that God brings Moses out of Egypt but it's also doubly important that God gets Egypt out of Moses amen so God brings us out of the world system but then he wants to purge us of the world in order to send us back into the world now Moses is 40 years in the wilderness living a completely different life he's shepherding his uh, father-in-law's sheep for 40 years at this point he's an 80 year old man and as an 80 year old man he has an encounter with God in a burning bush and what God first shares with him is he sa says look I've heard the cry of my people that are in Egypt I've heard the cry of them that are in bondage. I've heard, the, I've heard the cry of those that are enslaved. And Moses, I'm here to share a little bit of my heart with you. I want you to know my heart and what my burden is about. Because Moses, I've not just come to you to try to make your life better or make you successful or make you happy and healthy and wealthy. I've come because I have a burden for this world and my people that are in bondage. And I want to give you a mission. And so he begins to give Moses this mission and unfold this mission to him. And in the same way that he gives Moses this mission, listen, God is giving giving us that same mission. He calls us to come out of this world system, to purge us of our sin and, and, and to break off the conformity that we have to this world, to live separate lives, different lives. But see, he doesn't just bring us out so that we can be separate. He says, now I have refined you and I've purified you and I want to empower you by my spirit to go back into the same place you came from to bring people that are in bondage out the same way that I brought you out of bondage. 
Amen. So this is the mission that God gives us, and we are given, we are ambassadors for Christ. This is what the scripture says, that now because of what Jesus has done, he's no longer counting their trespasses against them out here in this world. And we can go out to the world and say, hey, be reconciled to God. Because God's made a way in Jesus Christ. You can come back into the fold. You can see what God has done. What he's done in my life, he will do in your life. And he's sending us out as ambassadors. I can promise you that what God has not done is save us so that we can feel good in church and and feel good about our own lives and thank God that we can go to heaven. Even though that is a great inheritance that we have, he now says you guys need to occupy until I come and you need to grab a hold of the mission that I've given you. So we live with an intentionality. We ask the question like where is a broken heart that I can help mend? Where is somebody that needs a friend that I can build a relationship with? Where is somebody that actually needs the gospel and needs some help and needs some support that I can reach out to? And in embodying the kingdom, in living a life of following Christ, it just sort of oozes out and bleeds out into them. It's not even that we have to go around passing out tracts and and hollering the gospel out in in Walmart parking lot, which I've tried before. You know what I'm saying? Like I've tested almost every evangelistic means. And what I've found is that probably the greatest one now, I think you should try them all. I think people should be trying different evangelistic methods because different things work for different people. But at the end of the day, what God has called us to do is to embody the kingdom in such a way that when we build a relationship with people, they see something different about our life and it opens a door for the gospel. It opens the door just because they spend time with us and they see there's something different about our lives. And so Moses is like us. But here's what I like about Moses. Moses is more like us than you think he is. Like, he is really a lot like me. Like, he is sitting here with a total lack of ambition. God has delivered him from Egypt. He's 40 years in the wilderness. And by this time, he ain't even got his own flock. He owns nothing. He's still shepherding his father-in-law's sheep for 40 years. He's got no ambition, no, no drive for success. He's not trying. He, he, has no own, he owns no, no sheep of his own. At this point, I would think at least, Moses, you would be shepherding your own flock. Maybe you started a business. But no, he's still living in his father-in-law's house at 80 years old. He just don't care. He's hiding out in the wilderness, and he's comfortable. And if he's, if he's like us, he just wants to be left alone. I'm cool, Lord, that you deliver me. I'm cool that you bring me out of Egypt, but don't ask me to go back. That's my past. I ain't interested in going back there. I'm not interested in going to that place where I'm going to be uncomfortable. I prefer to hide out. Amen. Y'all are like me. I know some of you, you know, if you go to the grocery store and you see somebody you know coming, you're like, I'll just hit this other aisle right quick. (laughs) You know, it's like you see them, you keep your head down. You're avoiding eye contact, right? Because, well, if it's me, it's because you're introverted. It takes the Holy Spirit of God to push me into that place of uncomfortability where I can be an invitational person, where I can be an hospita- a hospitable person, and it takes an extra dose of the Holy Ghost for me to step out and say, let me share Jesus with you. Amen. But you know what? He does just that. God is the only one that will give us the capabilities of doing just that. And he's called us to that, to step out. Because it's easy to remain in hiding. But see, many remain silent for various reasons. Many remain silent because we've caught, you know, we we talked the last few weeks about how God says, look, man, the harvest is plentiful. If you look out here in the world, it's ripe for the picking. Uh, You know, I I meditated on those verses, and when you notice, I've I've got a little garden. It ain't much outside my yard. Andre said, I don't know if we'll do this again or not, but we've produced a few tomatoes, a few cucumbers, and a couple of green bell peppers. Amen. 
Hallelujah, by the grace of God. And when it's ripe, when you go out and pick it, you know what? It just comes off real easy. And, I'm, and what, he, what he's saying is that, that really evangelism should be a lot easier than we're making it. Because the harvest is ripe. People are looking for Jesus. It may seem difficult externally, but if we will go out into the harvest and pray that God would send laborers out into the harvest, we'll find that it's a lot easier. But see, we remain silent when God has called us to great victory and a great harvest because often we got a lot of fears and we got a lot of excuses. Amen, don't we? Amen. So Moses had five excuses. I want to run through those excuses with you. Number one, Moses said, Who am I, Lord? He said, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, But I will be with you. I love how the Lord answers questions. Because he always redirects. He almost never answers your question as you ask it. It's interesting because it's basically like when you ask the Lord a question, the Lord's saying, Dude, you're asking the wrong questions. Don't you understand? Because he says, who am I, Lord? Now, he's law, he, he feels like he's estranged. He's disconnected from Egypt, so he doesn't feel like he's an Egyptian anymore. But he's also disconnected from his brothers in Israel, so he doesn't feel like an Israelite anymore. He's living among a people that are not his own, that has no sense of identity, doesn't have his own job. He's just tending his father-in-law's sheep. So he's got a lack of identity. He doesn't know who he is, and he just feels like, I have nothing to offer. Lord, who am I that I should go and speak to these people? And God redirects it, because here's what, here's what God says. It doesn't matter who you are. It's like the rock, you know what I'm saying? It doesn't matter who you are, you Rudy Poo Jabroni. I don't, I don't know what that is, but that's what God is saying. He's calling you a Rudy Poo Jabroni, and he's saying it doesn't matter who you are. It's not about who you are. God is not looking for any particular personality. He's not looking for any set of giftings. He's looking for somebody that is available and says, God, I know that you're God, and you can take this, this lump of a mess and do whatever you want with it. And God is redirecting his question, saying, it ain't about who you are, son. It's about the fact that I am calling you, and I will be with you in power. And when I send you, you will, I will give you capabilities and abilities that are beyond your natural means. So that's one excuse that God deals with head on. He says, who you are is not of work. Because here's the thing. When a willing vessel allows God to move, you need to understand anything that I, that I bring to you. When, when God moves through a person, oftentimes what people will do is they'll elevate the person. They'll say, oh man, Clay, you're a great man of God. The reality is, is that any good thing you have seen in me is just Christ through me. Any other thing that you've seen is Clay. So I'm not bringing clay to you on a Sunday morning or a Monday when I counsel or when I, I'm not bringing clay to you. I'm allowing Christ to flow through me to you. We are willing conduits and vessels for the Lord. And he says, it doesn't matter who you are. It's about who I am and I will be with you and I will equip you. The second thing that he says, though, is how am I going to explain you, God? If I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So, so God answers this question, and he says, look, you're going to tell them that I am who I am. And I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Basically, he's saying, remind them of the covenant. Remind them that I'm a God that's faithful, and the promises that I made back then, and somebody may need to hear this this morning, the promises that I made to them back then, even though they've went through a season of enslavement and bondage and hardship, my, my faithfulness still is true, and I'm still going to make good on my promises. So tell them that I am that same God that made a promise to their father Abraham, and I'm not done working yet, even though it seems like it's dark. So he's saying, when you go and you talk to them, tell them about this God of the covenant. 
tell them about this good God who's able to deliver them and set them free and has a promised land for them. But here's the other thing. How do I explain them? Because most people, the excuse they make is, well, I would talk to people about Jesus, but I don't know the Bible that well. I, I, I would talk to people about Jesus, but I can't hardly retain Scripture. I, I would talk to people about the Lord, but I, I just I have a difficulty, and I don't. I, what if they ask me hard questions? Do you know that it's okay as a Christian to say I don't know? I mean, I've, been, I've had people come into my office or sit down at my house or whatever and they're dealing with hardship or loss or whatever and they just grill me with question after question. Well, if God is good, how come this happens? If God is good, why did He allow this to happen? And, and, and I just get one. And you know what? I do my best theologically to give them a good response. But at the end of the day, they're wounded, broken hearts and a theological answer does not always give them exactly what they need. And sometimes I say, you know what, brother? I understand that you're hurting and I don't know why all these things happen. I just don't know. There's some things that I don't know, but here's what I do know. I know God is good. I know that He's not done yet. I know that He promised to come and return. And I know that when He returns, He's going to judge all these things and He's going to make all things right. And everything that is evil and bad is going to become untrue. And God's going to set things right. So I understand that God is going to do these things. And because He's going to do that, I can trust Him. I I believe that because of what He's done in my heart, He's going to do one day to all things. Amen. So, so, so we settle, make it easy. It's not something that you have to know everything about. But number three, he says, well then, okay, God, but what if they don't believe me? They, they're not going to believe me. They're not going to listen to my voice. They'll say the Lord did not appear to you. And so here's what he says. He says, but, but here's the thing. If you go out, Moses, if you go out and act on faith, I will cause supernatural things to happen. What, I'm, what, I'm trying, what he's trying to say is, they may not believe you, but I'm going to give you some signs. I'm going to give some wonders. I'm going to release my power so that some supernatural dimension. What he's saying is that if you'll step out in faith and speak, God will touch their heart in a supernatural way. God will do something supernatural. And here's what he says. I love how he answers this question because he says, what if they do not believe me? And the Lord says, what is in your hand? Again, he redirects. It ain't about whether or not they believe. It's about the God of all creation sending you into here and your excuses ain't going to be able to camouflage your disobedience. This is God I'm telling you to go. This is God I'm telling you to go, but what he says is what's in your hand. And here's here's a point that he's trying to make. What does he have in his hand? He has a staff. Now the staff is what he would have been using for 40 years every single day of his life to shepherd the sheep. It's a common thing. He doesn't think, there's no way that God could use this staff. It's what he uses every day to tend sheep. It's nothing. What he's saying is, some, you don't think you have anything to reach people. But if you will use that which is in your hand, if you will use the common, mundane thing that is in your hand, God will add a supernatural element to it in order to reach people. You think your job is mundane? God's trying to use your mundane job day to day to reach people for the Lord Jesus Christ. You think your talent or your gifting is mundane and nobody cares about it God will use that thing which is just natural and ordinary to you and he will put a supernatural spin on it and use it to reach people for the Lord Jesus Christ if you'll simply step out in faith number four everybody uses this when I'm not good with words oh my Lord I'm not eloquent I can't speak in front of people either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant but I'm slow of speech and of tongue now let me say let me say this I'm gonna be honest with you some of the times that I have been broken before the Lord listening to somebody minister the gospel the most has been from a speaker that honestly isn't that eloquent I can remember about three specific moments when people got up to speak to give a testimony or even to preach, and they didn't have an eloquent ability, but something happened when they spoke. 
And I could sense the sincerity in their voice and, and what God was doing in them. And here's the thing, God, people don't care about how well you can speak. I, I get the fact that God sometimes places people with giftings to speak and be eloquent and all this stuff. Sometimes He does that and uses it for whatever purpose that He needs to do, no doubt about it. But when we're talking about reaching people, it's not an impressive voice that wins people's hearts. It's the Spirit of the living God and love flowing through a human vessel that reaches people. It's not about whether you're eloquent or you can speak well. If you stutter but the love of God is flowing through your heart, you're going to touch somebody's life. Again, you got to quit focusing on yourself. It's not about you. It's not about your abilities. But finally, here's the thing. We can excuse our weaknesses. We can use our weaknesses as an excuse to bench us. Well, I just can't do what he can do. I think I'll just sit out and let him win everybody to the Lord. There's people you can reach that nobody else can reach. And there's, there's a way that you speak that, other, that people will listen when they won't listen to the preacher. You understand what I'm saying? So God's calling every single one of us. And then lastly, it's like, it's like you give God so many excuses, and finally you're just frustrated. You're like, God, you ain't hearing my excuses, son. Send somebody else. You know, I done ready to get, I'm excused out. Just leave me alone. Send somebody else. And maybe you've never said that to the Lord externally, but internally you've already said it. You've already made the decision, I ain't going. I'll go to church, Lord. I may even read the Bible like once a month. You know what I'm saying? I'll put a prayer up on occasion. Like if they send a prayer into the prayer line, I'll even say, Lord, bless that person. Heal them up. You know what I'm saying? But I ain't going out to try to minister the gospel to my neighbor or speak to my coworker about Jesus or pray for a brother or sister that's sick. out in put. I ain't doing none of that. I've already made a decision in my heart. Please send somebody else. But see, God is sending you to do something that is seemingly impossible for you. And here's the thing. If you've got dreams that are bigger than your natural ability, it's probably God trying to send you into it. If you've got dreams or you've got a call or you've got vision, when, I, when God first called me to preach, it was the most horrifying experience in my life. I, I mean, I was on the verge of throwing up almost every night just thinking about it. Can somebody amen me? And then, and, then, and then the Lord filled me with His Spirit, and all of a sudden I'd find myself out in public around people that maybe I didn't know, maybe I did know, and my heart would start pounding, and I would sense the Spirit say, share the gospel with these guys. And I'm like, do you want me to throw up first, God, or what? Like, do I got to hit the garbage can? But God moves you into these moments if you're open and willing. But most people, they've already closed the door. I'm not even open to you, Holy Spirit. I'm not even open to you impressing my heart to speak to somebody. I have shut the door. I have decided that the gospel is going to go to people by another means than through me. Amen. Yeah, right. And we make these excuses and we set it up, but God is saying, look, Moses, you can make all the excuses you want, but I'm telling you, this is still the commission that I'm giving you. Yeah. And you're going to go one way or the other. And even if you go and you ain't going to say nothing, then in that case, I'll send there in your way. Um, and, uh, think about how merciful God is because he, he anticipates all of our excuses. And he gets angry at Moses because he keeps giving the excuses. But he says, all right, you can't speak. You're still going to go. I'll just send Aaron with you. You speak to Aaron, Aaron will speak to the people. One way or another, we're going to make sure that it happens. But sometimes, honestly, we need another person. This is why Jesus, when he sent the disciples out, how did he send them? He sent them two by two. Yeah. Because sometimes you need the support of a brother. Sometimes you need somebody alongside of you to help you in that mission. But regardless, God says you're still called to do it. So God responds by saying, I'm going to give you three signs. So we had five excuses, but God gives in response three signs. And number one, the first sign that he gives is our authority in Christ. Now, do you remember when we read what he said was, he said, what is that in your hand, Moses? He said, well, it's a staff. 
He said, take your staff and throw it on the ground. So he took his staff, he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. Amen. Moses fled from it, which is what most of us would do, right? I ain't touching that thing. He says, turn Moses, grab it by the tail, and when he took it by the tail, it became a staff in his hand once again. Now this is a picture of our authority in Christ because the rod actually represents authority. It's, a, it's an authoritative picture over the sheep, over the shepherd. It's a picture of authority. The person with the staff and the rod brings correction, brings discipline, brings guidance. So it's a picture of that authority. But get this, Adam and Eve, God said in the garden, I've given you all authority. I've given you authority and dominion over the birds, the air, the fish, the sea, over all the land. You have the authority, but what happened? They sinned against God in believing the serpent, and they handed their authority, and it became the serpent's authority in the world. Jesus Christ took on flesh and blood, became a man, faced the same temptations that Adam and Eve did, and you know what He did on the cross? He took that serpent by the tail and regained that authority back and restored it back to man. And He's saying, now that authority has been restored to me. And this is why He says in Matthew 28, 18 and 19, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I defeated sin on the cross. I defeated death on the cross by being raised again from the dead. I defeated the grave and I defeated Satan once and for all and all the authority that he had to keep people enslaved has been taken from him. Now you go, therefore, because it's all been given back to me in heaven and in earth, and so now you can go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Luke 10, 19, he said, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Amen. So he says, I've given you authority. Well, Clay, how do I exercise that authority? Number one, you exercise this authority in prayer. And so my main question to you is, who are you currently praying for? Who are you currently praying for that is lost, that doesn't know the Lord? You know, it's, it's an interesting thing about prayer life and intercession and things like that because... A lot of times we get so focused on ourselves that we don't even hear the burden of the Lord for lost people. I mean, not only are we not speaking to them about Jesus, we're not even praying for them to be saved. And the Bible says, and it teaches, that people who haven't come to an understanding, a knowledge of the truth of the gospel, that the God of this age, Satan himself, has blinded the hearts and minds of those who do not believe lest they should come to the knowledge of the truth and of the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there's a blindness and I personally believe that is, it is our intercession and our authority in prayer that removes that veil and that blindness that opens hardened hearts so that all of a sudden there's an open door for the seed of the gospel to be planted in their hearts and for them to be saved. Our intercession and prayer over people's lives. I tell you the story about Charles Finney, about he, how he would send Father Nash into territories before he would come and preach. And Father Nash would say, I want to know the five, the five biggest sinners in this community. And they'd give him a list. These are the worst dudes here. And he would go into intercession for these men for two weeks in prayer and fasting. And then Charles Finney would stand up after two weeks coming to the territory and it was as if the veil had been lifted, they said. And when he would preach, it would penetrate every heart. The hearts would be open and people would fall down and begin to cry out to God and be saved. 
I think a lot of times the reason we don't see a lot of salvation is because we don't have people carrying the burden of God and praying and interceding like we should and using our authority. We need to go into the prayer closet and say, Lord, you know what? I've got this brother. I've got this sister. I know this person right now that they are not saved. They're even saying horrible things about you, God. It seems like they'll never be saved. They're in addiction. They're in bondage. But, Father, I'm asking you right now in the name of Jesus that you would convict them by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, that you would draw them by your power into this place of truth, that, that Satan, we bind your power over their minds. Any spirit of addiction that's keeping them in bondage, we break it by the power and the authority of the blood of Jesus. And I pray, God, that there'd be an open door, that somebody would speak to them. Maybe even there'd be a moment, God, that I could sow a seed into their heart to break up that fallow ground. And God, I'm asking you for the salvation of their souls. You ever prayed a prayer like that? Think about it. Because your prayer could be a determining factor in what God's doing in their life. Ain't no doubt about it. So we have authority in prayer. Now, he goes, Moses goes in, and he's interceding, right? And Moses ain't got nothing, man. This dude is 80 years old. He ain't even got his own sheep. Only thing he's got is a stick. And that, he did have some shoes, but God said, take them off. You're on holy ground. So now he ain't even got no shoes. And the man's 80 years old. He's weak. He don't have an entourage. He don't have an army. He's got nobody. He goes in as one old man before the most powerful dictator in all of the world. And you know what his sermon is? Let my people go. And the Pharaoh looks at him like, what? I ain't letting them go. I don't know you. I don't know the God you're talking about. I ain't letting your people go. So what does God do? He brings judgment because of the intercession. Now, God is not seeking to bring judgment on people right now. He's seeking to bring judgment on demonic powers. If you align yourself with demonic powers, you receive the same judgment that the demonic powers are receiving. Amen. Because the judgment brings a distinction and a separation. If he brings a judgment on my addiction and it causes torment in my life, it's because he wants me out of it. Amen. That's good right there. That's better than you were shouting. So he comes in with a stick and a one-line servant, let my people go. Now notice this. When the judgment comes on Pharaoh, what does he do? He will not let them go fully. Why? Because intercession must be persistent. Intercession has to be per- What you'll find in people's lives is that you pray for them once. Maybe something happens. A door opens. Pharaoh says, all right, I'll let a little bit go. But I ain't letting it all go. And if you read, this is the story in Exodus. But Moses keeps persisting. He says, no, let my people go. Or we're going to bring more power. And each time Moses goes into intercede, God releases a greater measure of power until ultimately all the people are set free and their enemies are drowned behind them in the Red Sea. My point being is we pray and we continue to pray until we see the people that are lost and don't know Jesus finally come to saving knowledge in, in, in Jesus Christ. This should be so important to us. It should be so important to the church of Jesus Christ that we're seeing people saved and, and that, that we're praying for people. And so the other thing is, is that when we have the authority in Christ, we need to look for opportunities to pray for people and to believe God for miracles. Amen. You need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and you need to honestly look for opportunities to pray for people and to believe that God... Here's the thing. God can do so many things, and I believe personally that we need to go and we need to go into the prayer closet and pray to God about people before we ever talk to people about God. I believe that. And we need to pray in the prayer closet, God, I need your power. I need to walk in your authority. And Lord, when I come across somebody, Lord, that's in need of you, I need an unction from your Holy Spirit. But God, I'm also believing that when I pray for somebody that's sick, that you touch them. 
I'm praying that if, if I pray for somebody that, that there'll be a release of your spirit that these people would know the love of God in a moment and their hearts would be open. I'm believing you, God, just as the apostles prayed, Lord, stretch forth your hand to heal and to do signs and wonders in the name of your holy child, Jesus, so that they could glorify you and come to the knowledge of the truth. So you go into the prayer closet and you believe that when you pray on the inside, when you get on the outside, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you can pray for people and miracles can happen. I've seen God move. In, in crazy ways. And it's always usually, I'll be honest with you, in connection to my private prayer life. If I'm praying and interceding for people and asking God to use me in public to help people and minister to people, then what I see is sometimes there's moments where the Spirit of God comes upon me and I'm enabled to minister to people like I wouldn't otherwise when I'm just going about my daily business. Amen. So he's calling us to that place where we go into the prayer closet, receive authority, and we go back out and we pray for people and we believe God for miracles. And, and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit about this thing. Who, who might God be leading you to pray for? Who, who might God be leading you to speak to? If you're sensitive, I promise you, He will lead you this week to somebody to pray for them. Well, what if nothing happens, Clay? What if something does? Amen. See, the second thing about it, so we have authority in prayer, but see, it's also about His weaknesses because when the thing becomes a serpent, what does He do? He runs from it. Because there are things in our life our weaknesses. God says, Jesus says that my power is made perfect in weakness. You think that your weaknesses are the worst thing about you. And God says, no, it's, your, it's actually your addiction. It's actually your struggle. It's actually your hardship. It's actually your loss and the thing that you've been grieving and the pain that you're experiencing that you're going through that you think is your weakness that I want to heal you from, that I want to set you free from, and I will take that weakness and let my power flow through it, and it will become the greatest asset for the kingdom in your life. He says, then you'll take it up again and you'll use it with my authority. And then lastly, there's authority and power in the words that we speak. If you remember the story that we're talking about, you remember Moses in Exodus 7, he actually goes before Pharaoh and he throws the, the, the stick down on the ground the first time. You know what Pharaoh does? He gets a guy named Janus and Jambres, which are magicians, and they come in and they do the same thing. They throw their stick down on the ground and it becomes a serpent as well. And it's like Pharaoh's like, you know what, dude? You got power from God. We got demonic power. We got the same thing you got. We can do what you can do. But you know what happens? Moses' serpent swallows up Janice and Jambres' serpent. The point being is this. In our world today, our children and the entire world are hearing some demonic lies. And they believe those demonic lies and it gets authority in their lives. It change, changes who they believe they are. But do you know that there's a superior authority? We can unleash an authority that swallows up the authority of the lies of the world. But here's the thing. What Satan wants is for all that, those lies to proliferate out into the world and nobody ever combat it with the truth. This is why whenever we speak, there's a point in people's lives. Now, you've got to weigh it out, and you've got to discern, and you've got to know. You don't just go around and go run roughshod over people, but when you develop a relationship with somebody, and they trust you, that's when there is a time when they are believing lies that you speak the truth in love. And what will happen is there's a superior authority that will, will swallow up the lies that they're believing because there's a power that is greater than that demonic power they believe. This is why when it comes to, to even difficult issues like sexuality in our world today, it's important that we speak the truth. Because nobody else is going to do it. And they're going to create the same serpents that you create in laying down your authority. But if you speak the truth, ours is a superior truth and it will swallow it up in their lives. So do not 
allow that lie to overcome, but speak the truth of that word in the authority of God. Secondly, he gives them the word of our testimony, the word of our testimony, because here's what he says. Here's this. He said, if they don't believe the first sign, if they don't believe that first sign of the authority that we have in Christ, then he says, we'll give you the testimony. And here's why it's the testimony. He says, put your hand in your cloak. And he puts his hand in his cloak. He pulls it out, and it's leprous. And then he puts it back into his cloak. He pulls it out, and it's restored, just like the other. Now, he puts it into his cloak, which is a, it's a picture of the, of the heart, and it comes out leprous. Leprosy was the living symbol of sin. It was an incurable disease, and it was horrific. It would eat you alive, essentially. And they tied it into sin. They, they believed that if you had leprosy, it was because somehow you had fallen into sin. And so he says, basically, what he's saying is that Jesus Christ is the only one who can take the leprous, sinful human heart and restore it to be made whole and be healed and be cleansed. That's what he's trying to say. And so he's moving us into this position where he's saying, if they don't believe the first sign guess what they will believe the transformation in your own personal life so you have another tool and that tool is I remember when I first got saved I'll be honest with you God had done such a transforming work in my life that every opportunity that I got I start I shared my testimony with people e even now to this day like if I'm if I'm if I'm at, the Lord leads me to speak to somebody in the gym I'll give them a little five minute clip of my testimony this is where God brought me from man this is who I used to be if I connect with people who used to struggle like I did I went to preach at Chad's Hope this past week and I went in with a sermon and I looked at all these faces and none of them knew me so you know what I did I spoke my tell I said you know what boys I was in a place very similar to where you was at here's what God led me through here's what happened I was addicted I was depressed I was lonely I had hate in my heart I was angry all it but you know what I sought the Lord Jesus Christ and he saved my soul and he changed my heart and he set me free and I'm a different person and I'm telling you there is joy that is beyond any of the things that these things can give you and even though you're living in blindness right now and you don't see it there's a day for every person that believes in Jesus where their eyes are opened and all of a sudden they see man this is the truth and so you have the power of the testimony you say well Clay my testimony ain't like yours it does not matter the testimony in itself contains the power if your testimony is dude you know I don't know my wife took me to church and I kind of like it a little bit and I started believing in Jesus and I feel a little bit better maybe you should come to church with me try it out that's a good testimony, my friend. Share that with somebody because somebody is on that level. Somebody just needs to hear. It's okay. You can come to church. I sense a little something there. I believe in Jesus. I ain't got it all figured out, but God's doing something in me. Share that with somebody. Invite them to church. Bring them an invitation in on this thing because the testimony has power. In Acts 1.8, he says that you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be what? Witnesses unto me. You know what a witness brings? A testimony. If they bring a witness to the stand, what does a witness bring? It brings a testimony. And he's saying, you're going to go out and you're going to be a witness before these people. You're going to be a living testimony to my work in the earth. Your transformed life is going to be a testimony. How you embody the kingdom is going to be a testimony. But then you will open your mouth under the power of the Holy Spirit and you will declare what I've done on the cross 2,000 years ago. You'll also declare what I'm doing in your heart right now. And it will be a testimony and a sign to people who do not believe and it will open their heart to the gospel. Amen. You know, everybody's different with different personalities and we all have a different method. Of, like, like, here's the thing, you know, you could get up and say, well, I just don't like that method of evangelism. I remember one time I come out of Walmart and somebody hand me a track 
and it said on the front of the track, you're going to hell. I thought, well, that's positive. <laughs> so I turned it in, and then the next page was, but, and then I turned to the third page, and then it started to unlo unlock the gospel. Now, my initial thought is, this is not a good method of evangelism. But, here, but that's just me. I don't like to lock anybody in. Everybody has different personalities for a reason. People are different. People will respond differently to different things. You need some people out there that are saying, you know what, hell's hot and y'all need to get ready, amen. Because sometimes somebody needs to hear that message. But then there are other times when people need to be gently led, they need to have discussions, they need to be cared for first, they need to be loved first, they need to know that the church is not just uh, wanting them to be their evangelistic uh, little project. You understand what I'm saying? And everybody's got a different method. There, there's some people in this church that I talk to that I feel like are very evangelistic. And they're evangelistic not in the sense that they go out preaching the gospel a lot. They're evangelistic because what I notice in their lives is that they, they develop relationships with people in their lives, like co-workers, etc. When they're on the job, they're not complaining. They're not acting a fool. They have a good mentality. And what happens is they're around these people developing relationships, showing genuine care for them, and they're maintaining their principles and their values without forcing anything. But after they develop a relationship with this person before long, that person starts asking them questions. And there's an open door, and they say, well, you know what? And they, speak, they, say, they say this, they tell me this. We speak positively about our church. Isn't that good church? You know how many people speak negatively about the church and about the people of God? How do you think it's going to win anybody to the Lord? How do you think speaking negatively about the people of God in His church is going to help bring people into the kingdom? We say we speak positively about our church. We tell them about how, what it's done for us. And then we give them an invite to church. And guess what? Sometimes they come. And guess what? Sometimes they get saved. Sometimes they find themselves baptized. Sometimes they get in ministry. So, like all of a sudden this thing unravels because they were willing to just spend some time with them and develop a relationship. They don't necessarily force anything. But here's the thing too. You know, what you find is that one plants the seed, this Bible says, another one waters, but God gives the increase. You don't have to go for the touchdown all the time. You got to plant seed. Like, if you, look, you just meet everybody. Let me tell you something, brother. You need to give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ right now. Buddy, I just met you. You know what I'm saying? Some, I mean, that may work. I hope it does. I've told you, I've tried every evangelistic method that there is. I went and had a, I got, I got, I blushed this morning because I used to go up here in Walmart in the parking lot. I think maybe John Runyon went with me one time. And I'd just go, like a bunch of teenagers would hang out in a circle, and I'd just sort of step right into the center of them. You know what I'm saying? Uh, all right, boys, let me tell you something. And I just take the preaching like it was a Sunday morning, son, and they all look at me like this. What in the world is going on right here? As far as I know, none of them boys got saved. I as far as I know, like, uh, I'm not seeing any. I'm hoping to maybe run into one. They come to me and say, but you remember that time you preached up here at Walmart? I got saved that day. Uh, uh, but as far as I know, so I've tried different methods. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I test it out. Sometimes I go through seasons where I struggle with evangelism. My heart's not in it. And, and the Holy Spirit has to come and like revive that and say, Clay, come on, you've got to be about the mission, man. You've got to do the work of, of an evangelist. You've got to be open to, to people that I want to reach beyond this. And some of you don't, do not realize how great of a gift you have in your job. Some people I know, they got like work-at-home jobs, and they're like, man, the only thing I hate about this job is I ain't got no people. i got no people that I can have an influence on. And, and so they, they're actually trying to figure out ways to connect with people. And your job, you say, I can't stand the people in here. That is an evangelistic field. Man, you've got to change your mindset about where you're at and about where God has placed you. And 
Rather than living under the pressure of how many people can you win to the Lord, just recognize that the Spirit is in you and you can ask the Lord every day, God, use me in some way. A word that I speak, let me sow seed, let me water. There's so many of my friends, man, that I sowed the seed when I, was, when I first got saved. Guess what? I sowed that seed, let them know what God was doing in my life. They didn't get saved right away. But six, seven, eight years later, they come to me. They say, Clay, you remember that time you shared Jesus with us? He said, but I never thought, I never forgot about that. I just gave my life to the Lord Jesus last week. I've had friends come back to me. Why? Because I planted a seed. It didn't take root right away. But over time, other people came and watered it. Circumstances of life came and watered it. And then all of a sudden, the door was opened. Amen. Amen. Lastly is the power of the gospel. Now, here's the thing. You know, if your duty, if, if your relationship with the Lord is a duty, if you come to church because it's your duty and obligation, if you pray because it's your duty and obligation, you probably don't even need to evangelize because they're going to notice that it ain't real. They're going to notice that, hey, this person's Christianity is a duty and obligation. But if you go home and you develop a relationship with Jesus and you fall in love with Jesus and His love is in your heart and you start to sense love for people, then that will begin to flow out of you naturally. It's not forced. And God will bring you into this place where there's an open door for the gospel. And the third thing that he says is the power of the gospel because he says if they don't listen to this, Moses, what you're going to do is you're going to take some water from the Nile and you're going to take that water from the Nile. And for them, the water from the Nile was the source of all life. That's how they lived. That's where their food was. That's where their source of drinking water was. Everything came from the Nile for them. And he said you'll pour it on dry ground and on the dry ground it shall become blood. And it'll be a sign to them. Now, Jesus is the source of all life. He is the living water. And God took that living water and He poured it out among us which were dry ground. We were made out of the dust of the earth, as Scripture says. And He poured that living water out on dry, sinful ground. And on that dry, sinful ground, when He took on our flesh and was poured out into our flesh, He became blood on the cross to die for our sins. And He was raised again from the dead on the third day. And this is why we believe that belief in Jesus Christ, faith in Jesus Christ, forgives us of our sin. He forgives us of our sin, cleanses us, in our blood takes our dry ground and saturates it with water and with blood and we are a new creation in Christ and we have the promise and hope of eternal life and that message in itself is the power of God unto salvation that when you speak that into somebody's heart and you say listen here's what we believe we believe that God sent his son Jesus Christ to come and you are a sinner in need of a savior but he died for your sins on the cross he shed his blood so that you could be forgiven and if you will repent and believe in him get this he was raised again from the dead on the third day and one day you will die and you will face judgment but when God judges you he'll see the blood of the lamb applied to your life and you will inherit eternal life and Jesus is coming back to restore all things but all men will be judged and you need to repent and believe the gospel. And he says, that message in and of itself is the power of God unto salvation. When it is spoken, it, it contains power. It brings a release into somebody's life so that they can believe. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Because you know what? There is a potential that we could be ashamed of the gospel. You realize that? How many of you feel kind of weird sometimes for believing in this? You're like, I feel weird about sharing this with people. We believe in some crazy stuff. Shoot, sometimes in our church, somebody speaks in tongues. Like, I'm a little bit ashamed. I'm a little bit of ashamed that we, we believe that 
you know, of a, of a man, and everybody mocks the Bible, and everybody does this in our culture. You're going to have to make a decision. Do you believe this thing or don't you? Do you believe this thing or don't you? We can wrestle with it. We can have doubts, but I'm telling you, I've had an encounter with Jesus, and I'm absolutely certain that the, the Scripture is His Word, that He is real, that what He did on the cross is effective, that His truth is His truth, and His truth is what sets people free, and that He is coming back again to judge the living and the dead. And we need to make sure that people are ready the best way that we know how, and we need to allow God's Spirit to flow through us so that the Gospel can minister to people who don't know Him. So here's the thing. First steps, you need, to, you need to ask God to show you someone to reach out to, really. Just ask, some, ask God, say, God, who can I reach out to? Who can I currently be praying for that I know is lost? And would you help me to consistently pray for them? And would you open doors? Give me an impression of the Holy Spirit to speak to somebody or to pray for someone or to begin a conversation with somebody or invite somebody over to have dinner with like that, 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 that doesn't know just something. Something that God is using you in, because if, if He uses us all, then something, it, maybe it is just simply even an invitation to church. You'd be amazed. Because, you know, there is a difference, I think, between the fact when somebody comes to church and hears open air, clear preaching, obviously there's an element of, of, of power to that, but then there's an element of power to you just sharing your life with them and talking to them and having a conversation with them about Jesus. So look for opportunities and, and look for what God might do in your midst. Romans 10, 14, and 17, it says, How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. And when we don't speak it and we don't realize we're the sent ones and we don't proclaim God's Word to people around us, then we actually rob them of the power that God releases that creates faith in their heart to be saved. And we don't want to rob them of that. So, God says, I'll be with your mouth, Moses. I'll teach you what to say. You, you know how real that is? If you step out in faith into what God's calling you to, you will tap into the supernatural power of His Spirit. It's because we live in fear and we never step into it. I, I told you last week about how when they crossed the Red Sea, uh, Jewish history has it that Nashon was the first to go in. And when he went in, he was from the tribe of, uh, of Judah. And when, when, when he went in, he went in first leading. And the water came up to the horse's nostrils before the water split. Imagine the faith that takes. You're like, what's my horse is going to drown? And you just keep going out into it. Because sometimes in order to experience the power of God, you need to feel like you're drowning first. You need to feel like you've come to the end of yourself. Like, God, if you don't show up, ain't nothing going to happen. And God wants to put you in that position. If you're waiting on God to do something powerful before your move, you may be waiting the rest of your life. God is saying, move, and I will back it up with my power. Open your mouth, and I will teach you what to say. And you'll grow into it. When I first started preaching, I was so scared, man, I had no idea how thoughts would come together and a message would come out. had no idea. I did not believe it would work. I thought I would stand up, man, and it just would fumble for words and not find anything. And when I first stood up to preach, I had been praying and fasting, just hoping and praying to God something would happen by a miracle. And I felt just a blanket come over me. And all of a sudden, words just started to flow. They came out. I said, well, God, this is something beyond what I realized was, was, was I, what you were able to do. He says, I'll teach your mouth what you should say. He even told his disciples, he said, don't premeditate what you should say in that moment, but in that moment it shall be my Father by the power of the Holy Spirit that's speaking through you. You go home and you pray, Lord, how can you use me? 
God will show you. He'll give you an open door. And in that moment, you may be fearful, you may be scared, but you'll sense the Spirit nudging you, and God will open that door, and you'll be able to plant a seed that may bring transformation and salvation in somebody's life. Yeah. Amen? Amen? I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. It's really just about full surrender. Moses didn't necessarily have the gifts or the abilities, but God worked him into a place beyond his excuses where he came into full surrender. And so this morning, I think that's what God's asking you. Are you willing to fully surrender your life and say, Lord Jesus, I don't just want salvation for myself, but I want it to flow through me to, to others. And so this morning, I, I, th I think we should just pray. I think we should seek the Lord for a fresh infilling of his spirit. If you're not saved in here this morning, I think it's time to turn your life over to Jesus. I think it's, it's now. I think the gospel is the answer to, to everything, really. The kingdom is the answer to everything. And so if that's you, I, I want you to spend some time with the Lord. I want you to pray. I want you to share what God's doing in your heart with somebody. But today is the day of salvation. So, Lord, we just ask that, Holy Spirit, you'd come and you'd do something in all of our hearts. We need you to release your power to use us to bring salvation. There's somebody on your heart maybe right now that God's bringing to mind. Pray for them, intercede for them. Lord, we just pray right now for, for lost loved ones. And God, even lost people that we've not in, come into contact yet, God, that, that are ripe for the picking. Maybe they're going through a hard time or a difficult time, or maybe they just flat out don't know you. But if they would simply hear the gospel and the seed would be planted and that seed would be watered, Lord Jesus, transform, transformation would take place in their heart. God, we pray that you would remove the veil and the blindness that Satan has placed over their hearts and minds and that they would be saved in Jesus' name. Let us go out with your boldness to do the work that you've called us to do. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. I, I want you to stand to your feet. Let, can we take some time here with a few minutes that we've got and just worship the Lord? And maybe you won't need prayer for something. Come around this altar. Let's pray. If, listen, if you need to give your life to Jesus, I'm telling you, there's something about responding publicly. I'd ask that you come forward. I'd ask that you come forward and let us pray with you this morning. But all who will, let's come forward. Let's seek the Lord at our seats. Let's take a moment to pray and just ask God to do something in our hearts this morning. Take some time to respond. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Take some time to respond to the Lord here.
want you to just close your eyes for a moment. Would you pray this prayer with me? Say, Lord, I am your vessel. I ask you to fill me with your spirit. I ask you to open my eyes to the people around me, to those who need you, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you'd teach me what to say. You'd give me your heart on what to do. And God, you would give me your power so that people might come to know you, Jesus. We pray, God, for the salvation of lost friends and family members, people that we don't even know. God, that you would release your power and they would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And we pray, God, that you would start with me, that you would use me for your glory and send me where I need to go. In Jesus' name, amen.